Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural context and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. Attica! 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 (laughs) I had no idea what they were saying. Oh, when he was yelling. Yeah, I feel like it's just like that 70s whole mesh of like everyone's yelling over everyone and you can't understand anything. And then I had to look it up and I was like, oh, wow, what an insightful and like important improv that he came up with. But in the moment I was like, but I'm just yelling sounds. Attica. I feel like I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night one of these days just shouting it. Yes. Arden, I saw your letterbox review. I, yeah, I was like yelling that at my cat, like as I was going to sleep. I was like, Attica! That's amazing. I feel like someone I, definitely named like a cat Attica for sure. I was literally thinking like when I am in a position where I can like adopt an animal and uh, I'm, I'm going to name it Attica because that's... Uh, ah, <laughs> I mean... I mean, maybe one of the greatest line deliveries, right? It's just, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. his—he's so unhinged in this movie, but in like the best way. It's—it's so—it's just his. The fact that this is the Godfather Part Two and the, then this. So it's Godfather, the Converse. Uh, no, Post Godfather Two was the year before, and then this. It's just. I, I mean, Pacino in this movie. This like very very well might be my like capital F favorite performance in a motion picture just period Uh, he's oh my god pacino pacino dunk 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 pacino (laughs) (laughs) so this you would say this is better than his performance in jack and jill uh well no well yeah it's such a it's such a tough decision (laughs) it's a real sophie's choice god i mean like here's the deal i love this movie it's one of my all-time favorites but like if this and the Dunkin' Donuts commercial that he films and uh, at the end of Dunkin' uh, Jack and Jill uh, were, like, both in a fire. I can only save one. Uh, yes. Man, it's, Pacino's going to be sweating even more. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> Dog you got to get that Dunkin' Chino. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I, I'm going to be saying hello to my chocolate blend. <laughs> yes. I'm only a little embarrassed to admit that I discovered yesterday that that was from the movie Jack and Jill and not an actual <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts commercial that he Brooke. made. I had, look, <laughs> I, don't, I don't pretend to understand the inner workings of Al Pacino's I mean, mind, I could, okay? The man, let's just be real now, has, you know, probably taken uh, a few gigs for the paycheck. Right? Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, you I could thought you see were going to say a few, a few drugs. Oh, oh <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean, yes. But also, not, like, not. his performance... Not to be, not to like immediately make this about Jack and Jill, uh, but like his like performance in Jack and Jill is good. Oh like, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good he's performance. Like, it's a good performance. He's trying, like he's not doing it for the paycheck at all. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> I feel like fun. that's the thing. If anything, he commits to the bit or like whatever role he's in so hard, no matter what. So. Even if it's in a bad movie, you know Pacino's at least like gonna do something. You yeah, know? yeah. I feel like that is the the number one redeeming factor of all those terrible Adam Sandler, Kevin James movies is that they get these amazing character actors to show up for three scenes, absolutely kill it, and then like Disappear. fade back into the woodwork, yeah. like Philip Seymour Hoffman or uh, Richard Jenkins and Step Brothers. I mean, like that's you know Will Ferrell, all of all that whole group of like early two thousands like cringe adult male comedy. That's I, their saving grace. I don't know about cringe. Some of those were classics. Hey, 
I mean, you're also forgetting that those movies are just really funny. So yes, uh, yes. (laughs) I will die on the hill that like Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby is like one of the best like American comedies. But like, oh yeah, that's for another day. (laughs) Yeah, that Uh, is not that is not what we came to talk about today. Sam, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say at the risk of getting us back on track. I um, (laughs) how dare. Um, was throughout this whole movie thinking a lot about Heat, um, yes. both uh, because it's a heist movie and, of course, because it has Pacino in it. And uh, in this movie, Pacino's performance is so bottled. It's so um, – there's so much energy to it, but it's so contained and mm-hmm. so um, – uh, um, like has so much uh, propulsive energy because of that – of how bottled he keeps it versus heat. It's like you took the bottle and smashed it on the ground and then just let it, <laughs> let it go everywhere. And it's so funny. Cause like, I love his performance in heat, but I don't know if it's a good performance. I know. I agree. <laughs> I heat is like so unhinged and it's just like him yelling and his hair is chaotic. And it's like, yeah. that, it's, I feel like it's that difference between Michael Mann and Sydney here where Michael Mann mm. is just like, everyone's going to be crazy. And it's like, we're going for gritty and wild versus this, where he's just like, <laughs> I'm going to capture like the like the energy between like what was really happening and like the realistic like humanism going on here because I feel like this whole movie has like this like as you were saying this propulsive it's like a ticking clock of like stress and you can just mm-hmm. like as we were saying earlier as Arda mentioned with the sweat like this is like the sweatiest movie ever made um so much but sweat. like from a tension standpoint but then also very funny like this yeah. movie is it's a comedy a really good comedy as well that's I, like I mean, one of the things that was like bumming me out was like I feel like modern movies that are like we're adult movies, we're a drama, we're a serious movie don't have any jokes or, no. la- or not that this movie movie even really has jokes, but it has moments that are funny and human and like yes. very honest in uh, the fact that life can be funny and the fact that he's this is just about a man who's having a bad day at work ultimately. Oh my god, yeah, it sort it sort of feels like this would be a great double bill. Um, with Scorsese's uh, After Hours, like yes, that yes. sort yeah. of like unbottled, you know, coming apart. I feel like they have like a nice like wed there. Yeah, Jordan mm-hmm. and the After Hours Stan agenda. We love After Hours. <laughs> um, but it's been a few minutes. I think we should introduce our guests. Who yes. are you, firstly? Oh, yeah. Hi, I am Brooke Solomon. I'm Jordan Gustafson. And this is a podcast where we love talking about cinema we love talking about being queer we love talking about queer cinema slam dunk so here we are talking about it on mic with some lovely friends would you guys like to introduce yourselves uh, yeah yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want only you don't if have you to. want to. we can hold it to the end it'll be like a really long like tease like who are the you, guests i don't know i, don't I could want... read the title of the episode but also <laughs> it's like <laughs> well, you should just like have it be question marks, like. And then oh, nice! Yes, yes, yes. Figure yes, it out. Um, no, uh, but uh, but uh, I, I'm Arden. Uh, Great. Oh, just full stop. That's oh. what you were gonna end with. Just oh, I'm. I'm <laughs> that's Arden. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Sam. Uh, we're the hosts uh, we're, we're, of uh, Disney Plus podcast. Disney Plus, Plus podcast. Uh, Plus. <laughs> the only podcast about the Disney Plus streaming service that hates Disney. Um, and cops. And cops, yes. I hating cops is actually going to be very relevant. This is, to this yeah, episode. wait. Hate, this, yeah, is this is a very a cab podcast. Some day. real a cab yeah. energy today in this um, movie. 
But um, uh, Queer Quadrant reached out to us uh, very generously, asked if we wanted to talk about a Disney movie on their podcast, and we said, no, thank you. Uh, we uh, watch too many of those garbage pieces of shit. We want to talk about an actually good movie. And um, I was beyond excited to watch this movie. I had never seen it before. It, oh, wow. Uh, Without getting ahead of what my star rating is going to be, jumped to the top of uh, a lot of lists for me personally. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's so good. Also, if we want to talk about uh, Sydney Lumet, Sydney Lumet yes, or Lumet? I have been asking the same thing, and I'm very glad that you asked this question because I don't know. <laughs> so we don't, don't have an answer. I don't know either, but it's, 12 it's Angry Men is one of my it's favorite fucking movies. French. <laughs> so it's 12 Lumet. A- 12, a- 12 Angry Men is one of my favorite movies of all time. His um, debut. His debut is insane. What? But also and, up there with one of the sweatiest movies ever. And then he oh, makes yeah. Network, which has which is, one of the sweatiest scenes of all time. Yes. Is is his thing, does he just have like the trilogy of the most sweaty movies maybe ever made? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big it, proponent of on-screen sweat because it's like, it. it's one of the things that I feel like makes makes the the mise-en-scene of a movie yes. really hit home like every time i see someone dripping sweat on screen it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable but in mm-hmm. the best way you're like oh god that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of sweat well it's like with action yeah. movies nowadays no one sweats and you're like that doesn't make sense like you're yeah. jumping from a building why are you not sweating a smidge i yeah. want to see some glistening skin up and in like here. <laughs> The Bring way back the realism. sweat just intensifies over the course of this movie. I mean, they oh, start yeah. out nice and dapper, and by the end of it, they're just they're just little walking puddles. You know, it's <laughs> of blood. Uh, yeah, apparently blood they, and... they they shot this during the winter, right? And yes. so for all of the outdoor scenes, I read some trivia. They had the actors suck on ice before, so you wouldn't be able to see their breath That's in the insane. air, oh which is absurd when you think that. about pretty... how I... just hot this movie is. I, I mean, didn't know that would work. <laughs> I know. I feel like yes. it, you have to make the temperature in your mouth match the temperature of the air because, like, when you see your breath, it's the hot air reacting with the cold air, right? right? Yeah. Science. Ah, this is not beautiful. a science podcast. Clearly. <laughs> but I, do think th- I do think this is up there with something like Do the Right Thing in terms of um, just how much you feel the heat watching it. Yes. Um, like, it, it, it really makes you there with the characters in how miserably hot they must be in all of these scenes oh my god yeah i mean you just take it from the opening and the way like he shoots it and how you sort of like get this sense of new york and how like gritty and hot it feels and looks like i love i mean like we're talking about 70s cinema or whatever, i was gonna but say like, it's so 70s but like you really see new york in such a gross and just like it like it's dirty and it looks hot and you feel hot like and starting off from there, then just going immediately into Pacino, like going into Rob. It's just such a fast first five minutes. And then the fact that the whole robbery gets unhinged so quickly, it's just everything is just constantly like upending itself in terms of your expectations, which is really fucking cool. But we'll get, I in, mentioned, I think we'll get um, into the story. But I mentioned before we started recording that I just moved to New York and I've been really enjoying it. And I have been enjoying New York in uh, 2021. But I think where I really wanted to move was New York in the 1970s. Because <laughs> basically all of my favorite movies are set in New York in the 70s. It's like grungy and disgusting and terrifying. And I cannot get enough of it. It is like it, it, all you need to get me to watch a movie is to say it's set in New York in the 70s. And, and I'll sit down and probably enjoy it. That's amazing. You could move mm-hmm. to Los Angeles in the 2020s for the exact same experience, except without <laughs> any public transportation. It's, 
It's true. Um, it's yeah, so should we get into true. the plot? Well, I say let's... What is, I mean, you kind of mentioned on it, so this was your... Like, what were your... How did you guys, like, kind of... Like, what was your expectations for this movie? How did you get to watch it? Was it, like... So, Sam, it was your first watch. Arden, you have seen this movie, I'm guessing, yeah, many was, times. No, this was my second time watching it. I, was, I watched it second? for the first okay. time last year. Yeah, I, I think I, like... When we got your, like, requests, uh, like, you you sent us a list of movies that you guys were planning on covering, and I just watched this one, and I was like, oh, I gotta talk about this, uh, right on the dot, because I have a, I have a friend, uh, who wrote a screenplay, uh, Jordan Wald, he wrote a screenplay, like, where it's basically this movie, uh, but with Seth Rogen being held captive by, like, screenwriters, uh, it's (laughs) it's a really amazing uh, really good script. He's been tweeting it at Rogan like one page at a time. Oh uh, my but god! I read it. I, I but I watched this movie uh, kind of uh, because he had written that screenplay, and I want to have a frame of reference from it. And I was just, oh my god! I was just like immediately blown away. Uh, and it just quickly like shot up to being like one of my faves. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. right off the bat. And yeah. I was like, Sam. Speaking of the hostages, I there's a lot of uh, you know shocking things in this movie, but the only time that I said "Oh my god" out loud was when I realized that Carol Kane was going to be in it. I, um, I was because looking you, at the credits and I was like, "Excuse me, I did not even recognize her." You see her under the desk, and I was like, "Is it?" And then you see her pop up, and I was like, "It's Carol Kane." <laughs> her and her little maid outfit. Yes, and she's got these cute little like buns. She's adorable. The cutest. I know this is it's it's a good it's obviously this cast is amazing. Oh my god! I mean, mm-hmm. John. Yeah, I'm gonna botch his last name. Kazale, Kazale, whatever. Kazale. But like, maybe one of the greatest faces for like a character actor of all time. Just the way that his hair like fits on his head, and the way that like every line delivery is so deadpan for him, but they're so good and cutting, and that she's just sort of always existing. Like you feel his presence throughout every frame, even if he's not in the frame, which is so impressive. Well, he's also, like, really famous for, at least how I know him mostly, is for the fact that he never starred in a bad movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah he, no, he, he had that run of Godfather, The Conversation, Godfather 2, Dog Days, and The Deer Hunter. And then dying. And then dropped yes. died, yeah. That is, like, that's yeah. the yeah. trivia, is that he was I in... I mean, can you peek better? <laughs> he was in five movies, and every single movie that he was in was nominated for Best Picture, and three of them so won. insane. That's so insane. And then he died tragically of cancer, yeah. but, like... And no both one will Al ever Pacino, have a better run. Both Al Pacino and Meryl Streep have said everything they know about acting comes from John Cazale. Wow. Like, that's that's the kind of legacy that you want to have. That's yeah. incredible. Like, start in yeah. two or three movies with Pacino, dated Meryl Streep, and start in The Deer Hunter with her. Like, it's insane. It's and, so cool. Yeah. I mean, oh, And has the, one amazing. of the best faces. I want... That's the thing is I feel like... I mean, like, there are some great character actor, actors working today, don't get me wrong, but I miss, like, old film character actors where they just look like they were a part of the movie you know what I mean? like he feels yeah. like he yeah. fits in so well into this world like this movie's so well cast everyone feels so a part of this new york here yeah. i want to specifically call out charles durning who plays um moretti who's sort of the lower level cop who's yeah. uh, talking with pacino for most of the first half of the movie who looks like a walking talking snub-nosed revolver he's like <laughs> 
He's this little like pit bull of a man, and I'm obsessed with him. He also uh, plays Sister. almost the exact same character in um, uh, De Palma's Sisters, which I just watched uh, a couple nights ago. Another just like grizzled, angry cop who doesn't want to be doing what he's doing. But God, I could watch that man yell at people for hours. Oh, that's I mean, if you screaming have a type. match. <laughs> yeah, that screaming match between him and Pacino. I was like literally in stitches. This film so was a comedy for at least the first half. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's the thing. It's it's weird. Like you would think. I don't know. While watching it, you would think that the pratfalls and sort of the fumblings would be where he centers the comedy, but he doesn't focus the comedy on that. He focuses the comedy on the interactions between the characters more. Yes. Which I feel like is so much better because it would be so, so easy to slip and slide into just slapstick humor where this, it plays off the characters and their beliefs and how that sort of creates the like fun dynamic like you have all the bank tellers i forget the uh like the women who just like kind of like like rib him and are just like no we're gonna stay and it's just just like a fun dynamic i don't know it's fucking great this movie rules or or the who's the lead the lead bank teller uh sylvia played by penelope allen who's just kind of like you didn't even have a plan did you she's kind of like like a mother like taunting him she's She's like you didn't really think this far ahead now did you and it's like none of the comedy comes from jokes none of it comes from pratfalls or like easy things like that it is all just the um the dichotomy of people uh, uh of of people having to still be human beings in a situation that is somehow extraordinary. Totally. I mean, I think that, I don't know for you, but for me, that's where I feel like this movie excels is that it focuses on like the humanity of it. It's like within a genre piece for sure, but this is such a deeply human movie and he never highlights or focuses anything to make it feel extraordinary. Like as we'll get into, but this is such an explicitly queer film and like is one of the first films to have sort of this, extremely progressive queer portrayal on screen that's like not really playing into stereotypes i feel like pacino his whole character is sort of going against the type at the time um and how Mm -hmm. like his how his masculinity is so like fragile and how they're getting at his ego but how the main relationship about this movie is about yes paying for like the gender um who's the leon right yeah for Leon. leon yeah but it's not about that. Like, that's not the crux of the movie. It's like, that's his motive for like robbing, but it's really about their relationship and how their relationship is sort of disintegrating and how this is like Mm -hmm. a final act for that. But how it's, you know, it's like gets into the nitty gritty of that without it being so stereotypical and expository. I don't know. Well, what I, I, what I appreciated the most about like the sort of motive for, Ooh, why is he robbing the bank? That's the big, like, you know, mid act two twist what are we going to find out is that like the way that it untangles they don't make Pacino they don't make Sonny too much of like a you know sympathetic character because I think this I think it would have been a much worse you know overall queer reading if it was just like look at how tragic it is that these people have to resort to you know robbery and violence because of how society decides to like treat Mm. the lgbt community as a whole like instead it's about pacino you know being a little bit of a messed up guy and having the wrong motives for doing things but like not using that as an excuse um what were you gonna say arden I mean, it's just such a deeply, deeply empathetic movie without, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, exonerating any of the characters. Without, like, you know, it, it, it's a thing where it, it really, like, I was watching this movie and I, I was really just kind of struck by how realistic it felt. Like, even though it's totally. a very, like, tightly constructed thing, it feels just so, like, you're trapped there. It feels like you're 
in the environment and you like start to get to know these pe characters as like people and you start to really just kind of like you understand why you know the people who are hostages in the bank would be so would eventually kind of start to bond with like Pacino and Kazali like it's mm -hmm. so just it's just got such a beating heart to it mm -hmm. uh that just like makes it just such a cut above like every just every movie i mean oh my <laughs> God, yeah <laughs> I like how it I like how it takes Stockholm syndrome as like a positive thing. This is like the actual version of Stockholm syndrome and not, right. you know, what society has decided Stockholm syndrome like stands for, which is usually right. like super toxic abusive right. like power <laughs> dynamics. Like um the original like Stockholm situation was about like people becoming so close with each other and then banding together against like law enforcement right. that didn't understand what was actually going on um well i mean i speaking of law enforcement i feel like this movie's take on law enforcement and just the political establishment is so ahead of its time very I pro union mean, watching this now reads as like this i feel like if you just said this movie was made now you could kind of buy that just based on the themes that it's digging into like how mm -hmm. anti like police this movie is especially yeah. and how the police just immediately react you just see how many cops are out with how many guns and this it's all about like weapons and violence versus just talking through situations and like getting to understand one another versus like not hearing that uh it's incredible how i will i will feels. push back a little bit on the idea that it's ahead of its time For, because yeah, I, think I, mean, th I think this is very of its time in fact yeah and i think yeah. if you watch movies um from around this time period of this post-vietnam sort of confusion oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and anger that was hitting the country there there a lot of them have a anti-police sentiment um, for sure of like you watch something like i just wa i was talking about de palma's sisters also has um a real tension with the police and a real through line of police brutality or um i just watched uh west craven's um last house on the left mm. which has Love. police characters that are um so ludicrously stupid it almost started to offend me like it, it they basically every time there are cops on screen um hijinks music plays and they fall down and like and spit all over each other it's it's like like you, uh, there's not a movie that hates cops more than that movie and nobody talks about it enough but it really does feel like in the 80s that had to go away with you know um things like die hard and right. uh, ram i mean no, actually rambo is a bad example but uh, when we started to glorify the police and then it has come i don't want to say back into vogue um because i don't want to make it sound like um those uh, sort of political beliefs are a trend right. yeah, yeah exactly but um when he's screaming attica i was like he could be screaming George Floyd and the oh, crowd totally. would be reacting yeah. in the exact same way. Like it was just the thing. We should say what Attica was, by the way, uh, it's sort of the most famous line in this movie, but it is um, a reference to a real thing that happened where there was, I believe a prison break in, yeah. um, in yeah. uh, like upstate New York and the police stormed in and shot something like 30 prisoners and eight prison guards, basically indiscriminately killing people no matter what they were doing. Um, and I think it was a similar moment uh, for the country that we uh, have been experiencing recently of people uh, sort of pushing back on uh, police violence and mm -hmm. um, police power. Um, uh, uh, I, I had another point to make, but I have, no, I have yeah. faded. No, I don't remember. You're spot yeah. on. Yeah, and I mean, like the Attica prison riot. What was the catalyst? Was these things like better conditions for the prisoners and like a better way of life than they were currently getting? And I think that it's. I like that this movie 
references it not just on the level of like we have people that like have a power imbalance pitted against the police but about like why this is happening in the first place um Mm -hmm. like i said i think that it this movie walks the line very nicely between being like this sunny's motives are very good and you know very strong and it helps you sympathize with him but at the same time you understand that like at the end of the day he is doing this for himself Mm -hmm. like he Mm -hmm. is doing this because it's what he wants to do and he calls himself out for it a bunch of times i think he wants to Mm -hmm. get caught i mean i think they there there was a quote i read on the wikipedia where pacino they were originally wearing sunglasses in the first shot and he said that he wanted to take them off and reshoot that because he felt like sonny wanted to get caught and i feel like that's what you're hitting on where you feel this sort of this ego to him it's like a very self-absorbed action rather than doing it you know out of you know full kindness i guess yeah mm-hmm. but then how that can I, get skewed then by the media and by how he interacts with the crowd and then how the crowd manipulation works and everything like that as well yeah with what you said about crowd manipulation i think it's a really interesting movie because it's one that features very directly essentially a greek chorus um, yeah. in a way yeah. that you don't see in, in modern movies that often because you have this crowd of, um, I did a little bit of research on the making of the movie, it was 300 extras and then everyone else who was there was just actual bystanders who the extras essentially got to do one giant improv exercise where they would follow so awesome. along with the lead of what the extras were doing. Um, but you have them really um, giving a cue- cues to the audience at home or the audience in the theater about what the social um, mores of the day were Mm -hmm. and how they feel about everything that's going on in real time because they're completely on Pacino's side when he's essentially saying, fuck cops, fuck the system, you should be on our side. But the second that the news starts to come out that he's gay, Mm -hmm. um, they start jeering at him and mocking him um, and then it uh, you have like the gay community come out and try and support him, but that even seems um, it, it's unclear that he wants that or likes that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I thought a lot during this movie about um, uh, Pacino's character's uh, identity uh, as a queer person and whether or not he would identify with that mm-hmm. because he never, he doesn't um, get angry at the, at the news when they call him a homosexual the way that his partner uh, his bank partner not his yeah. romantic yeah. partner does um but he also never acknowledges his sexuality really mm-hmm. he talks about you know loving leon and he talks about loving his wife but he never says i am gay or i am you know bisexual or queer or right. anything along those lines and it almost feels like he doesn't acknowledge it in himself it's that sort of double talk that you end up with when you have a repressive society where you have to sort of be like well i love leon but i'm not gay yeah because he seems to have disdain and disgust for the gay community that has come to support him well i do want to push back on calling uh al pacino's character gay uh because we should be we should That's make true. a very, very clear note uh, that uh, the p- romantic partner, the, the premise of a movie is that he's robbing the bank uh, to get a sex change operation for mm-hmm. his partner, who the mm-hmm. film uh, the film names the character Leon, uh, but it, in actuality, uh, it was a, like a legitimate trans woman uh, named, uh, mm-hmm. let me look up her real name, Elizabeth Elizabeth. Eden. Yes, Elizabeth Eden, who, yes. uh, and, uh, you know, in the movie, 
they do not try to make Leon look like a woman. Uh, in no, not at all. in real life, sh- she would have been like looking a bit more right. like a woman. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know it's. I I could understand like it, it I could understand the reluctance to call yourself like I I I, I you know because in his mind he's he's not a homosexual you know she's mm-hmm. a woman just right she has mm-hmm. uh, totally a dog yeah. uh, and and she didn't because of this movie and uh, right. in real yeah. life they they paid for uh, the sex change operation with the, prof- the profits of this movie so uh, yeah. <laughs> You I know? mean, no, um, totally. I think I think you're spot on with that. I think that's where I feel I feel like a lot of the interest is is that it is, it's digging into a lot of uh, like topics about queerness in this community that don't really get talked about much. I feel like in a way that I mean, even now you don't see on screen that much. Yeah. At least for me, I mean, you'll right. see it in like the indie circuit, but for this movie kind of being what it was, or being such a large blockbuster you don't really see it that much and if you do as you were saying looking at the real life story how it feels like in the original uh, i'm gonna botch his last name but john wajo which wits i don't know how to say his last name um very but it felt like he was much more at least from what i read it seemed like he was much more within this community and much more accepting of himself than pacino's portrayal a little bit at least um, because they said that like he was at a gay bar in Greenwich Village uh, when he first like got more of the ideas how to rob like the Chase Bank and just like some things through that felt a little bit more. I mean, this is obviously we're reading into things that we don't know the people at all, but it felt a little more accepting. And obviously, I think when transcribing to film, especially at the time, and no matter what, if you're making a studio movie, they're going to try to dumb down things that could be right. like a little more volatile to like mainstream audiences, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but, even then, like, I mean, like, you know, it, 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 it's a it's a question like, you know, I try to like I am of a mindset that this is like a, a for the time, like an excellent portrayal of mm. trans issues. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it it's not like uh, uh, I'm forgetting his fucking name. Uh, the guy who did Redmond. Midnight Cowboy. It's not like um, no, it's, it's not uh, Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's not. I mean, let's not talk about Dallas Buyers Club. Um, <laughs> let's yeah. not talk about fucking Jared. Um, <laughs> it 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 gets a lot more right than like fucking yeah, like even Dallas Buyers Club, which is shockingly offensive, or the Danish Girl, which is right, uh, mm-hmm. hideous. It's simply hideous like it's it's a it's a topic that just straight up is not really addressed by mainstream film uh and particularly in a way where it treats the characters like people and i will mm-hmm. take this movie treating the characters like people even if you know the stuff about gender presentation uh does kind of make me feel a little uncomfortable uh <laughs> oh for sure yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think at its core, it's not trying to be an issues movie. Exactly. You know, something yeah. like The Danish Girl, I have so much of a problem with because it is trying to be this big sort of like billboard for trans rights. Exactly. And it gets so much wrong in that process. This isn't really trying to do this. It's trying to portray 
just real human beings in the complicated, messy, Mm -hmm. strange way that they are. Um, But I also think it's interesting that this didn't really, um, while it was groundbreaking, doesn't feel like it really set a precedent. Like, it doesn't feel like things got better from there. And then I'm looking at, you know, um, this was, Dark Day Afternoon is 75. Five years later, Pacino is in Cruising, uh, the William Friedkin movie, which I have not seen, but I have heard is a horribly offensive um, movie of queer stereotypes, Mm. uh, where basically uh, it's a movie about a gay subculture where every single gay man is um, sexually aggressive and... Um, horny beyond belief and and truly uh, uncontained in their sexuality. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to see a movie um, to to look at something that is groundbreaking and also see something like The Danish Girl or something like Dallas Buyers Club that so many years later is still, in my opinion, getting it more wrong than this movie gets right. Yes, yeah. and I I do think it's what it's so based off of what you said that it's not trying to be an issues movie is that every once in a while there will be like a piece of media that comes along that happens to get these kinds of topics more right than the majority not necessarily by accident but not entirely by design and that sort of it ends up standing kind of alone as the sole piece of media that is able to do it because it wasn't really trying to Mm -hmm. in the first place Mm -hmm. and I'm so glad that we get the opportunity to talk about this movie because I mean as we know like trans issues are really not portrayed on screen very often particularly not in blockbusters and even then particularly not in that sort of positive light that you would like to see them in or even in this kind of like you said not an issues movie like this is primarily a a thriller right um Mm -hmm. with just like elements Mm -hmm. of that and it's it's this is the first movie on the podcast that we've like talked about that textually is tackling issues of gender identity as opposed to sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Like we've had some stuff where it's very subtextual or there's like a definite read, but this is the first like textual film that we've looked at mm-hmm. that is like actually putting those issues out there. Um, and yeah, like it's, a little messy and it's a little tricky but Mm -hmm. I think that they I think that what what contributes in a positive way to this film more or less like holding up very well in that regard especially when you like look at fact it was made in 70s etc is like they mention I like I like when they talk about uh Leon and Sonny's wedding and mm-hmm. sort of like offer all the details like they got married in a church it was a real ceremony mm-hmm. there were bridesmaids like leon wore uh, like a wedding dress they show that photo and it, to me it's like that is something that sunny was a part of obviously like willingly um and like that news clip speaks more to like sunny's love for leon than much of how he's actually acting in the movie. And I think that you can see that Mm -hmm. informed in Pacino's performance. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite aspects about Pacino's performance is he completely plays it like he is genuinely in love with Leon. Uh, For sure, Particularly in the last phone call, like, there's Mm -hmm. no wink and a nod. Like, it is, these are two, two people who are in love. The final, uh, the final acts phone calls. I mean, it's like a four, it's like a twelve to fourteen minute stretch where he calls 
his ex-wife and Leon, those back-to-backs. And I mean, I think that's some of the most impressive pieces of acting put on screen. I mean, Pacino is mm-hmm. just giving his all to those moments and you really feel just the emotion and the raw sort of vulnerability behind him there. Highly improvised too, which is like uh, yeah, classic yeah. Pacino being great. Pacino, I mean, it's, it's fucking Pacino. Um, but like, it's like the entire movie just has like such a propulsive energy to it. Like it's, it just kind of like yeah. goes like it, like uh, Sam, uh, when he first saw this movie, he called me and he said, and I, and you can correct me if I'm butchering your quote on this movie. Uh, but you were like, that was the fastest slow movie I think I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> And, and like, it's true. Like, and, but in like the last, like, like 14 minutes before they get into that, like airplane shuttle, like it's, Ooh, it is like that. It just Mm -hmm. slows to a halt and it's, mm, uh, uh, I I love that though. It like lets it, I feel like this movie, it has such, it walks such a beautiful tonal balance where it lets the audience get riled up and get stressed sort of like feels like good time. You know what I mean? Like we're or like a safety mm-hmm. brothers thing where you're like so stressed, but then all of a sudden it, it hits the brakes and forces you to kind of get in the mindset of these characters and the way that he shoots it and how sort of just open and real the world feels and how everyone, you like really have to get to know everyone and you have to get to know why characters are making decisions that they are is just really stunning and beautiful especially in a genre movie like this where you could feel that they could kind of take the shortcuts or cheap you know places or decisions here or there Mm -hmm. um that's such a 70s thing too that's that cinema verite it's the lume it's the scorsese effect i mean think about like after hours or even the departed which we talked about that sort of like ratcheting up the tension and keeping it moving um but also keeping it very grounded in those character moments, you get so much sense for who these people are, but you also get little snippets of backstory. Mm-hmm. Like you get, um, one of my favorite character moments is when Al Pacino is talking with, uh, I have forgotten her name and I'm looking it up. I think it's uh, with uh, Sylvia um, yeah. and uh, has given her his gun, which is crazy to think about on its surface. Yeah. That is his one piece of power in this situation is the fact that he has a gun to these people, but ha- has given it to her um, not for any like... Um, a uh, uh, tactical reason in the hostage situation, but because he's teaching her how to do military drills to kill the time, um, which a is this like beautiful little moment between these two characters that shows uh, that they're just passing time and that they're kind of getting learning to care about each other. But it also gives more backstory of like, oh right, this is a man who was in the army. This is a man who went to Vietnam, came back, and couldn't find a job. And like right. ultimately, that has to color so much of the movie. And then with all those little character moments where you have. Um, that same character Sylvia talking to um, Sal about why she's going to smoke and why he thinks she shouldn't smoke. Uh, you have them talking, uh, you know, just eating eating pizza and drinking soda together, talking about having to go to the bathroom. At the very end, when Pacino's being arrested, and you see like a shot from his perspective of all the hostages who are hugging mm-hmm. and who are with the cops and they're not with him anymore, it really feels like all his friends left him. That's like really the emotion I was left with is like he made friends with these people over the course of this very strange and stressful day. And you have this weird remorse, not just for him going to jail, um, but for the fact that uh, it felt like maybe these people you're left wondering if these people really did like him. Mm. Yeah. Um, You know, was were these genuine connections or was everyone just trying to survive? And I think that has to to color so much of 
of the read of the movie. Yeah. Well, it doesn't leave you with such like a... I feel like movies nowadays really work hard to like leave the audience with a concrete moral statement, which uh-huh. we've talked about a lot before. But this movie, I mean, it's not leaving you with nothing, but it's like forcing you to think about the characters and the decisions they made and sort of the implications of their actions instead of yeah, giving you not, everything. It's not like... It's not like Carol Kane rushes back and is like, I'll always remember you. You're a good man. You're going to like, right. you don't know. You really don't know. And right. I, I love that. She doesn't say I, to the audience, like, that was one dog day afternoon. <laughs> yeah, <he was> like, <laughs> like, no. I, I mean, it's not like it's not what? like Joker where they, they would like cut to like uh, right. like a news broadcast where they, were, they would be like. <laughs> right. Exactly. This I mean, man is calling ex- himself. The Joker? Right, how, how <laughs> radical is that? Uh, these yeah, clowns saying... taking over the city. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, God. I think that's like an actual line. Wow. I've worked so hard to block that movie out of my memory. Oh, yeah. Oof. There was something that you had said earlier, Brooke, and I wanted to touch on this because I feel like we were mentioning it with the Danish girl and stuff like that, is I feel like why, uh, at least for me, this film hit me more than expected um, was because a lot of the things that we talk about is like these f- movies that talk about queerness or gender identity, they're all, it's always like about that. And with this movie that it wasn't about that feels like what you really want movies nowadays to go towards where it is just a piece of like humanist genre filmmaking with it like has a message in there, but it's not, I mean, it's important to tell those stories, but just to have these lives. And while obviously this movie is has flaws and like its portrayals and things like that and at least is sort of presenting something without it as you were saying hammering home and i think that just to have a sliver of something like that nowadays where you just like have a relationship or have a character on screen where it's not so like shining a spotlight on it is something that i yearn for yeah well Mm. what people seem to forget is that just because you have a queer character in your movie doesn't mean you have to constantly remind the audience right. that they're a queer character or make their storyline about the fact that they right. are queer or even with race anything nowadays i yes. feel like when you like dig into these big themes people just it's you they broad stroke things into being like it has to be fit in this box versus just like letting a movie Yes. have its own story and world it's ridiculous that anyone that's not you know presented as a straight white male is like has to then have their whole like story arc revolve around the fact right. that they're not and like remind the audience about that i think we talked about uh wonder woman and wonder woman 1984 very recently it's even a, those types of movies where it's like just because she's a female superhero doesn't n- mean that her story needs to be about the fact that she's a female superhero like the actual on-screen representation is like a bigger point than people seem to think it is um this is about to be a crazy reference but i think that it fits very well when you think about motive in this film um like the biggest you know reminder of like who sunny is as a character is like how far he is willing to go for leon even if his you know methods are rather misguided um i've been watching a lot of black sales lately i don't know if you've ever watched black sales <laughs> Bro, it's a great show. Wait, wait, the pirate I've never show? Heard of it. The pirate show. Um, <laughs> uh, Brooke, Brooke is putting this lightly that she's been watching. Uh, Brooke has been binging and texting incessantly about Black Sails. <laughs> yeah, well, I finished it now. It's over. Oh, my God. Yeah, but um, so sp- mild spoilers for Black Sails if anyone um, 
would like to fast forward a little bit. But in Black Sails, the like major protagonist, Captain Flint, like all of season one, he is basically like trying to burn down the Caribbean and you don't know why. You have no idea. Is he trying to kill Jack Sparrow? Oh, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What if Black Black Sails waits like three seasons and then is finally like, yeah, fuck yeah, we never told you, but we're in the same universe as Pirates of the Caribbean. I would love (laughs) nothing more. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, it's po- very possible. Probably. Let me just say, it mm-hmm. similarly has like fuck England, fuck colonialism, like these people ruined our lives, kind of like overtones, which I appreciate. But here's the thing: is that uh, in the middle of season two, you finally learn like why Captain Flint has been like going on this like crazy tirade, like he's so misguided, and it's like because he was in love with this man when he was an admiral back in England and England, you know, the general admiral, uh, the, I don't know, the military found out and like ripped them apart and it really sucks. And like, as basically revenge, he's like, I have no choice, but to like become the villain of my own story and like decide to tear all of this down because of like queer love. Mm-hmm. And like, that mm-hmm. is such, I think that the, the show and similarly this movie, um, do something very similar where it's like that is the motivation and you never forget that that is why your main character is doing the things that he is doing but it you don't have to constantly be reminded textually like you know it's been established and like that you know it just doesn't take that much effort to do that mm-hmm. and like include these marginalized characters in something that is not an issues movie um, that is not something like the Danish Girl or Dallas Buyers Club. That was a very long walk to get to a pretty simplistic point. No, but I think that's it's. Well, you're touching on something that's modern. That's like reflecting upon like something that we were like have been like discussing and wanting. So like when you see it, it's like oh, and you can see the direct ties back. No, I think that yeah, it's a good walk. That's not Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. That's a pretty <laughs> pretty short walk. It's a pretty short walk. <laughs> um, Black Sails is a great show. I highly recommend it. I also think if this movie had been more of like an, a quote unquote issues movie, if it was supposed to be about, um, you know, trans representation and queer love, you would have this weird thing where like they're, they're, they have this great unrequited love that can never be replicated. And, and, and it was love at first sight and society's trying to rip them apart. And I don't get the sense that Patino's character is a very good like boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, like, I think he's Pacino kind of like, has another has, wife. Right, right. <laughs> and kids. Has kids. And a like, child. <laughs> right. Like, I I think he is sympathetic. I think you understand where he's coming th- from through most of the movie. And I don't I don't think he is evil. I don't... Th- I never get the sense that he actually was going to kill any of the hostages. But I think they have a manipulative and kind of shitty relationship, probably. Definitely. And um, oh, robbing yeah. a bank for someone uh, as, like, this great ultimate show of love... Uh, is not a good thing to do, and the movie doesn't really endorse it as okay. Well, um, I'd like to push like back a grand on romantic that. gesture. That's, that's ridiculous. It's a grand romantic gesture. <laughs> <laughs> I, Fuck I, you. I agree. I agree. Who needs a dozen roses when you could have millions of dollars? Or I guess, sorry, $1,100. $1,100. It goes so wrong. I, I love that because he starts to get angry when he realizes that there's no money there, but he doesn't right. have anyone to get angry at, so he's just kind of like. All right, I guess I guess it didn't work so good. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, just to quickly touch on what you said, Sam, I think that another way that this movie is quietly radical, whether it was intentional or not, is that 
um, Al Pacino, yes, is a bad boyfriend, a bad husband, but like mm-hmm. it's it's not it doesn't have anything to do with like the the queer community. It doesn't yeah. really have like anything to do with that aspect of the relationship. It's more like, yeah, he like has anger issues and maybe likes weapons a little too much and probably, you know, didn't have a great time in Vietnam. Like it's it's just so mm-hmm. nice that these two things can exist like totally separate from each other and still lead into and inform this one character. Right. It's not like he's mm-hmm. like his bad behavior is because he like left his family to go be like with another Go like, join go the gay any, community. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like he's just this like anti-hero bad guy of like blend. You know what I mean? Just because that's who he is. Yeah. I mean, the, the most radical thing about this movie is you want Pacino to, to succeed. Like, oh, of course. Straight up. Like, you want, like, you want him to be able to, like, get the gender reassignment surgery for his partner. Right. You want, like, him to get away. Like, you don't want either of those guys to die. Like, no. And, mm-hmm. and to, like, have that be the case, to have this movie be so, like, distinctly, like, pointing its middle finger at the uh, establishment, it's just, it's so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's... And, and... No, go for um, it. Oh, just similarly, um, I uh, like. I think it's interesting to place this movie in in terms of when it came out and what you yeah. what audience expectations were at the time. And you know, the 1970s ends with a lot uh, has a lot of big movies that end with a lot of failure. You know, yes. Rocky doesn't win the fight. You know, Bonnie and Clyde don't make it out alive. They don't. Um, <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. Spoilers. And, Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> um, and I. I think it's interesting to look at this of like there wasn't a haze code. He didn't have to die at the end. Yes. They don't have to be punished. And so by Sidney Lumet making the decision that they are going to be punished, um, you know, S- uh, Sal is going to die and um, uh, Sonny is going to get arrested. Um, it really leaves you with a feeling of like, well, why couldn't they get away? Right. And yes. and and moreover, why did the co- I don't know? You're left at least for me with the feeling of like. Who fucking cares if they get away? Like, what does it matter? Right. Nobody got hurt. And the cops are actively putting people in in danger. Like, they are putting the lives of hostages at risk. They are firing guns in a car with, like, eight innocent people mm-hmm. in order to get their man. And yep. it reminded me a lot of, um, like, a year ago or so, there was a, a shootout uh, between police um, and someone who had stolen a UPS car. Yeah. UPS truck. Do you remember this? Oh, and yeah. they were, like, they fired, like, 80 rounds or something and killed the UPS driver because they had to get this guy who was stealing Amazon packages. And it's like, who gives a fuck? Right, right. Like, just let him escape and maybe you get him later and maybe you don't, but it doesn't fucking matter. Right, it's, and, that's what's so upsetting when Sal gets shot is, you know, they make it all the way there and you sort of expect it to be like when they get on the plane, they get arrested or when they land, they get arrested or something like mm-hmm. that is where your Hollywood expectations go. And it's mm-hmm. so visceral and upsetting to then all of a sudden have John Cazale get shot through the fucking head with all these innocents around him just completely cold-blooded mm-hmm. and all the relationships that had been built up are just immediately evaporated. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure from the police perspective, they're like, well, he broke the law. He has to be right. punished. We're doing our job. We're saving these people. But I was like, I don't know. Let them get on the plane. Let them fly to wherever the fuck they're going to fly. Algeria. And then literally who cares? I don't care what happens to them. Like, I, I don't know. It, it made me so angry. And of course, that is the uh, that is the point, I think. And really hammers home the anti-establishment message mm. that uh, the movie 
I'll, I, you know, I'll walk back my phrasing on that. Uh, it doesn't have a necessarily a message of that, but it, it, it hammers home the tone yeah. of anti-establishmentarianism. Absolutely. I think you were mentioning, you mentioned kind of justice and like this, I feel like if we're looking at like Lume's like filmography, like this, 12 Angry Men, even like Murder mm-hmm. on the Orient Express, all sort of revolve around these themes about like men in like locked room situations, like Mm-hmm. psychological thrillers dramas like, and like exploring like morality and like characters having to make choices but then mm-hmm. all of them well with murder on Taylor express like obviously has the ending of like everybody did it um <laughs> which like kind of cuts it short but like this network 12 angry it's like dealing in these moral gray areas and like these questions that like get arise and like force the audience to sort of go along on these journeys uh, so it's just interesting to see like how his career sort of digs into sort of these things like routinely. Mm-hmm. It's um, like you said earlier, he, he makes movies about how difficult it is to be a human, right? Like in a situation that is otherworldly. I mean, I hate when people are like, "Wow, they're such a humanist filmmaker." Like everyone should be a humanist filmmaker. You're making movies about humans. I right. really don't know what else you would be. But like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> by sort of taking that to the extreme, I love kind of like the bottom episode style of movies obviously Lume is amazing at that with I mean yeah 12 Angry Men is a debut come right. on come you were, on you mentioned <laughs> that you, that we I was gonna bring this up earlier but you mentioned the humanist thing and it made me think of Demi and like oh, yeah so like yes. some, something wild is yeah. like probably in my top five films of all time and that movie feels akin to this where it's like crime and dealing with like comedy but also there's like a dark undercurrent throughout it and it has that sort of tonal balance that I feel like this movie walks as well and obviously like that one's more of a rom-com and this one's more of a, uh, uh, is a bank robbery, but it's dealing with crime and like justice and morality in very similar ways. And again, Dem, as you were saying, like with humanist things, like you want everyone to be a humanist filmmaker, but not everyone is, which is so annoying because you're like, people like, are like, let's just like look at how people are messy and dig into that versus yeah. just being like good, bad. This is what it is. I'll do you one better with the the, the Demi parallel. This movie also has an amazing like right at the midpoint tonal shift. Oh my god, yeah. Like the oh, minute yeah. that there's the Leon reveal, I love how like the humor just kind of like slips mm-hmm. away and not in a depressing like, oh, it's an issues movie now. It's a serious movie now. But like like I think it was Sam who mentioned how the crowd turns on Sonny and how Mm -hmm. Sal was suddenly like very defensive with, you know, media portrayals, you know, when Sonny comes out to pat down the FBI agent and all the, you know, the watching people start catcalling at him. Mm -hmm. It's just, I love how that shift is done like very gently and very subtly and in like the best way that you want all tone shifts to be done just by like, you can feel the energy change, Mm -hmm. even though you're just watching like, flat images right it's yeah, it's, 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 fabulous. A, it's a slow bleed out but yeah. that works so well and yeah. as you you have you both mentioned this as well where it's like those final that final act where it's like you have the final five minutes that are wicked stressful but those 14 before that are so slow and like digging into it mm-hmm. in terms of plot i feel like we're we're tangentially covering it but oh. were there like scenes or things that stood out to you because i'm watching this Something that I really loved was the pizza delivery. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. And how that, I don't know the pizza delivery guy's name. He does not have a name. Unnamed pizza He's delivery. He's a star. Man. 
Uh, it's a He's great a fucking star. One, like thirty second performance. He sort of arrives. You see, hit. You get like get as you were saying. Like you get this like interaction bet- between him and Pacino. An understanding of how he is sort of understanding what's going on in the situation and how it's being processed through him. And you see sort of the different layers between how everyone's interpreting the crime on just right. a pizza delivery, which is so cool. And like it's such a quiet scene that you don't, it doesn't need to be anything that stands out. But like, I keep thinking back to a pizza delivery scene. It rocks. Movie, you know, mm-hmm. I like the parallel too with the pizza guy and the driver at the end. Yes. Who's like, I'm just yeah. like the pizza guy. And Pacino's like, nah, nah, nah. uh there's like even like an extra where like in the scene where leon's doing his like first phone call uh with uh pacino like there's an extra that's a cop who just like has this fucking smirk on his face and i'm like this is like a whole other character and it's Mm -hmm. just a guy in the frame like he doesn't even have a speaking role but he's like it's like that guy has a whole entire perception of the event that's just crammed into like the background of a shot and it's so is it the Mm -hmm. cop who when leon says that he like is a woman trapped in the body of the man the guy that like snickers yeah that guy that guy yeah that guy (laughs) (laughs) that fucking guy i um brooks uh long walk for a short drink of water through um pirate infested waters has inspired me to do something similar um (laughs) please please which is that um uh i think this movie is like um you have to look at it in the tone of uh like that you're post um you're post vietnam you have all the you've had this wave of political assassinations Mm -hmm. new york city is starting to get a lot more violent a lot more crime-ridden um, and I think the other thing you have to uh, put it in context with is the rise of television. Totally. Where yes. yep. this was a like 24-hour televised event. It mm-hmm. got huge ratings. Everyone was watching it. Um, Pacino has that line where he's where he's on the phone with the um, like TV host, and he's like, "What am I going to get for this? I'm giving you great ratings because everyone's watching your TV show. Are you going to pay me? Like, what am I going to get for this?" And then when the um, when the pizza man is uh like delivers the pizza he jumps up and down and is like i'm on tv i'm a star i'm a star right um and i i was i found myself weirdly thinking about one of my favorite mo- moments in itania yeah. when um mm-hmm. when it's pretty late in the movie and the camera like uh pans over to a tv that's playing something about the oj trial yeah and it like lingers on it for a couple seconds and you have this real sense of uh, you know, I, at least in my read, the director is trying to say, you know, Tanya was the the American villain of the moment. It's the the thing that we all paid attention to, and then we all forgot forgot about her and moved on. And then we focused on the OJ trial, and we'll just keep creating national villains because it's what we need as a pastime. 100%. And this really felt like the same thing of like, um, this was the thing to care about for that day, and probably for that that those couple of days, um, and the way that. This movie, we've been talking about how much it humanizes everyone. And on the contrast to that, I think it looks down upon the television and, mm-hmm. and news crews who are um, don't care about the humanity at all. They care about um, having the most sensationalized story possible. A hundred percent. It's Then you see him then go make Network, which then expounds upon sort of those themes to like a whole feature film. Yes, exactly. You think about, like, Vietnam, and uh, there's that famous quote from a film critic. I don't I don't remember who it was, uh, but they, they basically said something to the effect of Vietnam was the moment when America started to hate itself. 
and that was directly tied to you know the fir- because it was the first time we had like a window into that war we could constantly see the like death and destruction mm. that was going on and you know this yeah. is mm-hmm. re- like directly in the aftermath of that uh, it, it, it's impo- like it, it's just so distinctly like yeah oh, gosh that and the fact you did network the very next year i mean oh right. man oh oh <laughs> it's no you it's you're spot on and it's just i like that as you were saying like when the pizza guy sees himself on tv even when you first see the cameras get turned on and the, i feel like the cameras feel like weapons outside when they're pointing in at all the hostages inside like they're yes. training their guns on pacino and he's just excited to like look at himself on a small screen he's not realizing that like his story is being sort of stripped away from him and what his intentions were, whether good or bad are being, you know, controlled by other people. Yeah. Um, and for ratings, how much that like gets away from the two of them, especially right. with the media identifying Sal and Sonny as right, exactly. two homosexuals. And Sal then perseverates mm-hmm. on it and gets upset by it. And he's it's like one of the few things where he's like, I don't want to be called that. And Pacino cut or like immediately gives up and it's just like, they're going to say what they're going to say. Like, that's it. Like, it we can't control matter. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really appreciated about this movie, and this actually will get us into the plot a little bit, although the plot is really straightforward. It's just, um, you know, uh, Pacino goes to rob a bank one day with his with his friend Sal. I like that I'm using the character name for Sal, but Pacino's name for Pacino. Pacino we do, is we always do it all Pacino. The time. We do it all the time. <laughs> um, it's based on a true story uh, yes. of something that really happened in 1972 in, in Brooklyn. And... Um, somehow the cops find out about it and then uh, what is supposed to be a 10 minute in and out bank robbery uh, becomes a um, multi hour long hostage situation mm-hmm. and um, one of the things I, I love about the movie is that um, the cops show up and Pacino is like how did how did they find us what happened I, um, I don't even know if he asks I think he just says like I, I don't know what happened they found out somehow and that could so easily be such a tangent and such a sort of boring investigation for which one of the women pulled the alarm did the manager do it did someone outside find it did Sal turn on him and I like that the movie chooses to ignore that almost completely totally it just says the cops are here now it doesn't matter how they got there all that matters is that they're here and now we need to deal with it yeah yep I mean the trappings around like the plot are so much more interesting than the actual plot which like you said is Mm -hmm. very simplistic i mean think about all the little scenes the wyoming conversation is incredible like i said i i love the sunny and moretti screaming match um Mm -hmm. it's all it's just it's it's a movie made up of like little bits Mm -hmm. and all the bits are so Mm -hmm. good i mean just patino yelling outside screaming to a crowd is like fuel for my best like it's all i need to like get through a day there's no one better it's incredible that does that i feel like there was a from you uh from you two there was like a visceral reaction for the wyoming conversation because i feel like that is like something i see online a lot of mm-hmm. people discussing when talking about this movie I feel like it's the so way funny it's just one of the it's like one of the things that sticks out yeah 
So uh, to explain a little bit, basically Pacino gets this grand idea that they're going to use their hostages as leverage in order to get the police to give them a van that will drive them to the airport. Um, Well, at first his idea is a helicopter, but that doesn't work. A van that will drive them to the airport that will drop them off at a plane and then they can fly anywhere in the world, which I did want someone to be like, there's certain countries that do and don't have extradition laws to America, but whatever. Um, (laughs) He wants to go to the tropics because he wants to go to the the tropics. He just wants to... He just wants to go anywhere. Yeah. And he's trying to convince Sal, his partner, who... I will not say that Sal seems... Sal seems very... Um, to use the term that would be have been used in Vietnam, it seems like he has shell shock. Yes. Yeah. It seems like Sal is someone who... Do, do they say that they were in war together? Or yeah. am I really... Yeah, yeah. they were both Vietnam. They, they, were, yeah. they were... So they served together in Vietnam, and it seems like Sal is incredibly frozen up for yep. the entire movie yep. he um is just a man in shock i think it's basically my my read of it and um there's a scene where al pacino asks him like we can go anywhere in the world we can go to any country what country do you want to fly to and just completely deadpan sal says wyoming and pacino has to be like that's that's not a country uh, we'll, we'll figure it out later i um, love how gentle he is about it. he's yeah. like wyoming wyoming that's yeah. not a country but <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's why I like. I feel like he's. I'm so interested in John Cassavetes' performance just because it is so deadpan and haunted. It's like he has a mm-hmm. gaunt look to him throughout the whole thing, and you see him get sweaty, and you see him sort of experiencing the stress for everything. And as it, we were saying, like he's looking and he's always watching, and Pacino's always like appraising him and being like, "I got this. I'm handling this. Like, don't stress. Don't stress." Like he's trying to calm him down for like whatever mm-hmm. has happened to him, and he's just you really never get to know him as well as anybody else. Like he is the most sort of reserved character of everyone, including like bank tellers. And I feel like that's why I'm so invested and interested in him just because he's so kind of, he's experiencing the entire situation so differently than everybody else. And we never really get a look inside of his mind as to why, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, there's that Um, fascinating moment where, the one bank teller gives him the rosary beads as he's about to get on the yeah. airplane. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, what kind of, like, we don't, we didn't even really get to see them get to know each other. He's just right. kind of sitting in the background and it's just so, like, there's such just like a haunted childlikeness to him. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. It, it feels like he's just kind of like trapped in this situation. Like, I, I, you don't yeah. entirely understand why he got there, but you can tell that it's his choice to be there. And it's right. just, it's so, so fascinating. Um, it's his, that his conversation that he has with the woman uh, about smoking, I feel like sort of doubles down on that, where he is so like offended by her smoking and sort of just walks out. Uh, and right. she mm-hmm. asks like the question, like, you're fine with robbing this bank, but you won't smoke. So where is like your moral line here? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like that he's so unknowable. I think that it takes a very, very skilled actor and a very selfless character actor to pull off that sort mm-hmm. of thing because you can't, it, you have to disappear completely into the character right. and you also can't do, you can't be doing a thing, you know what I mean, bit, with that character yeah. or it's mm-hmm. going to fall apart like so quickly. Um, you always and, want him to get a nom as well. Yeah, I mean, that's why yeah. Kazali is so good. Right. And that's probably honestly why he didn't get a nom because it's not super flashy. Well, those, as you were saying, like those are the best, I mean, not always the best, but those are the character actor performances I feel like that linger the most are when they service the plot in such a positive way, but when they're not flashy and everyone sort of overlooks it and brushes it aside where they're like, this performance was good, but 
you know, it wasn't the main show, but mm-hmm. without that performance, what you without him, you take him out of the movie, you don't have a movie. Exactly. And like yeah. that mm-hmm. that is the best kinds of character actors where you need to like give yourself over to the story. And you can't even like quote unquote disappear into the story in a flashy way. You right. have to really become one. And I mean, you think about Chris Sarandon, um, who is a cis man, mm-hmm. the actor who pa- plays Leon, like is the one that got the the Oscar nom because that is like the flashy part. I mean, right. I think that he's very good mm-hmm. in it. And like that phone conversation, like you said, that does so much work and it was mostly improvised. And like, that's incredible that you can see the Oscar voters losing their fucking minds over that. But Kazali is in so much more of the movie and oh he God, yeah. is like, he's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just, it's just great. And I'm very glad that we had him as an actor when we did. Mm-hmm. the peace King. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, I like for even, even the short time that we did. Yeah. You were saying disappearing. And one thing that disappears is that third guy in the opening. Oh, Basically they go oh in, my God. God. which he is also dips. incredible. He just goes in there and he's like, you know what? I'm good. I can't do this. Here's my gun. Sorry. Gotta go. <laughs> it's like, that is so fun. Like I like bake robberies go wrong are like such a great niche of movies. Like they're always so mm-hmm. engaging. And that, like, again, that one, it's like not a profit. It's just hilarious that all of a sudden he's like, Nope. Nope. No, thank you. And they're all calling each other by their like. It's like no, nothing going on. No there. masks. Yeah. Everyone. Using he blacks their real out. Names. He blacks out the cameras after the cameras have already seen his face. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he's also a short king, and he can't really reach it that well. So he's just yes. sort of like, I got it. I got chair. it. Right. When he was standing, I think, outside the limo and kind of like checking it for guns or whatever, I was like, oh my God, he's so small. Right? (laughs) He's so tiny. I want to just hold him and let him know it's okay. (laughs) You don't need to rob. So much rage in a tiny little body, you know? Oh my God. Unbridled. Yes. Um, we, t- we have talked a little bit about the representation in this movie. Um, I wanted to touch very briefly on um, the overbearing mother representation in this movie, oh, which is yeah. uh, some of the best of all time. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> in um, a very brief scene with, I looked up the actor's name and then I forgot it immediately. I will, I will try and look it up as I'm talking. Um, but uh, his mom, uh, Judith Molina. Yeah, Judith Molina, who's not even named. She's just credited as mother um, shows up for like a three minute scene Mm -hmm. maybe um, and just knocks it out of the park because at that point you are so close to him escaping you are so close to this whole thing being over and she just wants to she's she's all but saying like are you eating enough you look a little bit gone you should you should eat something you should drink some water sit down and it's like you just want her to leave so badly but you she also has so much sympathy but also so much lack of understanding for him yes um because um, earlier in the movie, you hear her say something along the lines of like, uh, Sal wouldn't, or uh, sorry, Sonny wouldn't do that. Uh, like maybe his body did it, but he, he, he didn't really do it. Like she is completely in shock that, that her son, her baby boy could be doing this. But then again, um, mentions Leon and basically says, you wouldn't be with Leon if your wife was putting out. Mm-hmm. Um, like does not understand Sonny, doesn't understand um, his situation or his sexuality and isn't really... I, I won't say isn't trying to is trying in her own way yes. um, yeah. but gives this incredible little lightning bolt of a scene and then runs out of the movie mm-hmm. it's no it's uh, feels like my Jewish grandmother like when she shows up there's just like yes. a, a, an immense amount of guilt that she's bridling yes, on him absolutely that 100% feels it's just 
completely, as you were saying, just not recognizing the situation that he's in and how stressed he is. And it's just mm-hmm. her presence immediately makes, I mean, the audience, I just like shriveled up because of how tense it is because you see it on Pacino's face that he is just shutting down and just cannot deal with the stress. And you just see the years of probably back and forth that the two have had and the weight that she kind of harbors on him. And it mm-hmm. just like her appearance is like a fucking wrecking ball when she shows up. <laughs> yeah. That's a no, a great note. And then, I mean, like, as we're talking about mothers and his conversation then with his, you know, ex-wife, not divorced wife. With is, Angie. Right. is super interesting mm-hmm. in sort of how that plays out. And then, like, I, I don't know. It's just great. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I think it's nice to see, like, all of these people that want to tell Sonny like about himself and I don't even mean in sort of like the queer relationship way just in terms of like they want to like talk to him and be like what are you doing and you see it with the cops and with the FBI everyone just wants to talk to him Mm -hmm. everyone just wants to talk and figure out what's going on and um, like the moments where I feel like Pacino as Sonny finds himself most is when he is the one in control of his own narrative um, like I'm obsessed with the will reading scene. Oh my God. Sidney yeah. Lumet oh said that that scene was like the number one reason why he wanted to direct the movie. Mm. Um, first of all, it's great to see Al Pacino monologue while not at a decibel, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love like how sensitive yeah. and quiet he gets. Um, he's a dramatic ass bitch talking about, I'll give you money one year after like <laughs> right. this after anniversary this. at my grave or something <laughs> yeah. like fucking so dramatic, but that scene is, is beautiful. And so, personal and i love i love the way he talks about leon i've loved you more than a man could ever love another man which optically is interesting mm-hmm. um yeah. but yeah just like the loving way that he talks about leon and then clearly how much he cares about the family even though he left them like he gives them five thousand dollars um for welfare and stuff like that i just it's, it's nice it's no you're spot on it's, it's a good time tender it's tender it's very tender. <laughs> yes. There's a line that I wrote down, which I feel like uh, also stood out in terms of like the Pacino thing, where he is like there, ask him when he's not being interviewed, why are you doing this? And he says, doing what? And it's almost he doesn't recognize <laughs> that he's like, he's mid robbery, has like a gun, but he doesn't recognize mm-hmm. it. But then he is able to recognize certain other aspects of it. Like, as you were saying, with the like the will and stuff like that, he's able to key into certain things. But the robbery just doesn't even feel like it's a part of it. Like, he's so focused on like a relationship instead of just everything yeah. else that's going on. And you see that echoed mm-hmm. later in the phone conversation with Leon, where he says, Well, you needed money, now you have money. Right. Not mm-hmm. even like, I did this for you. Just, right. I don't know. Y- you needed money. Here mm-hmm. you go. You have it. It's very childlike almost. Yeah. He's a sweet boy at at the end of the day. (laughs) There was one other sort of like optics, queer Mm. representation thing that I wanted to touch on that I was wondering if you guys like had an opinion on. And that was like the use of pronouns in the film. Um, Obviously, we're talking about 1975 right yeah like uh, four. four four the the conversation was obviously not at the point oh, no, that it years, is right. today um but throughout the film everyone refers to leon like with he him pronouns but al pacino consistently refers to leon as his, as his wife mm-hmm. um right mm-hmm. i don't know i just think that's interesting and i was wondering i don't know if you if you had yeah. any thoughts on that no yeah I w- 
It also jumped out at me watching it, and I it, it's one of the things that kind of, like, initially kind of kept me at a distance from this movie. Um, mm. it, just because it, it, it feels like, like, again, it, it, it sort of, if, if we're going to get into, like, the sort of gender politics of it, like... Let's I do think, it. Yeah, the movie, I, I feel like it kind of, caught, like, for all intents and purposes views leon as a man uh Mm -hmm. at least in the context of a movie um and like that's very much in you know pretty direct discord about what you know typical trans activists like to think of like where it's like you're always a woman uh and it's just kind Mm -hmm. of like you know so like and at the minute Leon said that they want to, you know, become a woman, like, you should use she, her pronouns. Um, This was, of course, 1972, so I am going to give it the benefit of a doubt. Um, Yes. And uh, I I think, you know, there is a... the, The, you know, ending card of a movie is that it says Leon got the operation that she wanted... Uh, and is now living as a woman in New York City. Like, I think, I think at least from the perspective of this movie, uh, gender is kind of directly tied to anatomy, uh, Mm -hmm. at least from this Mm -hmm. movie's philosophy, uh, like anatomy and presentation. Um, so it's not correct, but I feel like I can give it a pass because I feel like, you know, it at least from like a white guy in the 1970s perspective uh like yeah that's what it would be um like it's definitely yeah as as time has changed obviously like perceptions and like actually like understanding has definitely improved but it's yeah I, i completely agree where it's sort of i you see i almost just am scared of what a worse version of this would be and like in terms of presentation and sort of I don't know. I just am so, so many bad like performances and statements are so burned in my brain that I've seen in movies. So that when you have something that is obviously dated, but that isn't so egregiously awful with its presentation feels a little bit of like a, a, like I'm not, it's just like a breath of like, like, okay, but it's not, it could be just so much worse. Yeah. If this Which movie I, I were think. like Jared Leto's performance in Dallas Fires Club, it would suck. Right. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think it, it it works because of the way it, it it does. It it treats the characters with like enough respect and enough dignity that like I can let go of the fact that like from a 2020s perspective. Uh, as a non-binary person, like it's not how I would like. Uh, right. You know. Yeah. No, totally. And I think. And I think. It, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go. go. Oh, thank you. Um, the I don't know. I was thinking a lot. There was a post that was going around Twitter a couple weeks back. Um, that was basically um someone saying uh like uh even no matter how progressive and accepting you try and be, there will be like uh things in your life where you will look back and realize that you were maybe uh, using terms that were different than the ones that we use currently or you were uh, thinking about things in a way that uh, is different than the way we were thinking about them currently. It doesn't, that doesn't mean you were a bad person and that doesn't mean you were not trying to be as accepting as possible. It means that the way that society thought about complicated and 
um, difficult issues changes and evolves over time and you evolved with them. And I think I, um, I, I think it would be a mistake to critique this movie's use of something like pronouns or specific terms from a 2020 perspective um, because I think those things have changed and will continue to change and I'm sure in 20 or 30 years that we are going to look back on the way that we uh, talk now in 2021 um, as being dated and possibly even offensive but I think it is completely valid to look back on films representations in terms of if they have an even hand in portraying people as human beings, as complicated as three-dimensional. Um, and I think on all of those fronts, this film gets so much right mm -hmm. that yeah. I'm fine forgiving the the things that, um, uh, from our perspective, haven't aged quite as well. I totally, totally agree. I think that that is the only way that you can look at movies, especially if you want to look at how things have evolved and look at progress. It's intent over semantics. And it's important to have like current and up-to-date takes on them that understand where they were coming from at the yeah. time. I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent, but we love tangents. <laughs> we've all we've all we've all had one. We're but waiting on Jordan's next. Oh, you... my whole thing is just tangenting throughout, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> if you are looking for like a movie that at least from my opinion gets is like a correct way of treating trans issues on screen does it absolutely perfectly i think the best movie with that uh is uh 2006's seed of chucky the child's play sequel <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not, not even fucking joking that. i am not even fucking joking it is a, a movie that is directly about gender nonconformity and it handles oh it God. in a way that is surprisingly sensitive and genuinely like compelling and everyone fucking hates it but it's a fucking queer masterpiece just uh, add it to the list. really quickly gonna add this to our doc yeah. uh yeah. potential future <laughs> covers if you guys ever want to talk I, I can talk about that movie for hours um so does bucks. this come after chucky is married or not that's yes it's a sequel it's their, okay. their child it's her child it's the Got bride it. of chucky's child this is child's play five um, wow okay that's incredible uh, obsessed yes. i love that well i mean it's, this is like something that we've talked about over and over again on the podcast is like um overarching queer representation in genre pieces and in mm -hmm. things that are not ostensibly issues movies about the queer experience like i love queer horror especially if it's apparently child's play five this 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 sounds amazing i'm not even lying to you this sounds it great. is the best fucking oh i i fucking <laughs> love Seed of Chucky fucking absolutely rules. Everyone, I'm gonna pencil it. you in. Humanist yes. question You're mark. Back. <laughs> yeah, fucking humanist. <laughs> fucking humanist. It has to deal with do with celebrity. It has to do with gender nonconformity. Uh, Chucky fucking kills Britney Spears off of Mulholland Drive. He fucking it it, it rules. It's <laughs> it's All up right, there so with folks... Dog Day Afternoon. Next week's episode is off the books. We have a new replacement. <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
my god uh, <laughs> yeah no but really truly um, sounds incredible it's yeah. it's very nice to sort of i think as more we get more and more diverse perspectives in sort of like the film criticism community and even you know in the podcast community talking to you um we are like able to expand the catalog of what should be considered queer classics um and you know what i think that's great the seat of chucky's time (laughs) is here (laughs) oh um let's see is there any Final thoughts, uh, Arden or Sam, that either of you would like to impart onto this movie, or Jordan. This this is going back to something we've talked about a lot. So it might be if this if you, if you're listening through and editing this and you think that what I'm about to say We're feels unnecessary, feel, feel free to cut, motherfucker. We'll see. But I, <laughs> I uh, was watching this with my roommates, and uh, like an hour in, one of them turned to me and was like, "Are we supposed to be getting a queer reading from this?" And mm. I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And he was like. I'm not getting anything. And I was like, I, I, I know, I, I said to him, I know things that you don't know yet. Cause I knew the sort of re, you yeah. know, reveal of the movie. Um, and I think you, you know, you talked about some movies that you covered on this podcast are sort of all subtext yes. yeah. and others are more textually queer. And I think what's interesting about this movie is that there's, up until the reveal, there's almost no queer. Subtext. Yes. I would go as far as to say there is no queer. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, Agreed. And the original title of this movie uh, that was the title of the uh, article that the movie is based on is The Boys in the Bank, um, which is obviously sort of a joke off of The Boys in the Band, the um, seminal 1970, uh, I think it was a play and then it was a movie. It's a play. Mm -hmm. They just Um, did a Ryan Murphy, the Scourge Scourge of Hollywood himself, did a a Netflix (laughs) version. Although apparently it's pretty good. I actually haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Um, and I love that they changed the title, both because Dog Day Afternoon is a really good title, um, but also because it doesn't, it, it makes it very clear that this is a movie about a bank robber um, and not a movie about Boys. queerness. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, no, it, it is not, it is not, the, the, the elevator pitch for this movie is a bank robbery that went wrong and not... Um, like what if what if a gay guy tried to rob a bank? Yes. And I'm I, yes. I know that I know that also gay is not the correct term to use for Al Pacino's character, but it is, uh, you know, sort of how the movie would be pitching him, and I think the how the article was was pitching it, and I think it speaks to Sidney Lumet being, um, we've used this term a lot, but a humanist that he is mm-hmm. not interested in that aspect of things. He is only interested in uh, the tension and, uh, the relationships and the characters. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. It's what I was talking about with motive where it's like, you don't really understand what this film is on first watch until you get to that reversal. And even then it's not like that totally changes what the movie's about. Like Pacino is still the same guy, but when you rewatch mm-hmm. it, you come in with that previous knowledge and all of a sudden it's like, it is about, that like you can't erase that from the central message of the film it's like so baked in and that is the best thing that is the best that is that is what i like to see mm. um is that like deep integration um without making it a big deal like you said sam you have no idea the on first watch but it's still there and that mm-hmm. is what's cool yeah no, mm-hmm. i completely agree it's taking your preconceived notions and sort of stripping those away just to tell a story instead of just giving the audience just what you would expect yeah which is great like kind of just like jumping in um the fact that like when they reveal leon it it feels 
so tragic, like rather than like being played as a mm. joke. Like that's where the like yes, it, it's mm-hmm. it, it 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 lends his character such just kind of like a deep sense of sadness that like I feel like if you were like a fucking a. a a worse filmmaker than Sidney Lumet. If you were not a humanist filmmaker <laughs> like Sidney Lumet, I was trying to think of like someone who would make it a just a corny joke. Um, Todd yeah. Phillips. Todd yeah, Todd, Phil- yeah, Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. <laughs> Oof. Oh God. <laughs> Todd. He would. Todd he Phillips' would. Dog Day Afternoon. Jesus oh, Christ. God, don't, don't speak into existence. Shocked they have not tried to remake this. Genuinely. Oh gosh. He, oh, it, like, yes. Yeah, oh my God! It would it would literally be like the scene in Joker where the the short person. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 Yeah, but it's just. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it, it's it's so it's just got such a beating heart. It's got such just like a willingness to just kind of trap you in a situation. Uh, it's it's a perfect movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. tragic with intent. It's not tragic for the sake of getting those audience tears and yes. getting yeah. those Oscar noms. It's really Nothing not gunning cheap. for tears or anything. It's beautiful, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Like you, mm-hmm. like you could totally make this a sappy ending where he's like staring at everyone and looking at Sal's like bleeding corpse and the music swells. But instead, it's just cold, and you're left with him like thinking about the past day and his actions and the consequences of what's going to happen. The unity of time, there space, and no action. There is no music. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's there it. There is no music in the entire movie. Which rules. Right. You get so it's in the awesome. headspace of everybody. It's great. Um, and it's so difficult to do that and make it not seem boring and empty. And 100%. moreover, you don't cut yes. away from the bank ever. Like, I could picture no. a version of this movie where they're showing the news coverage of the event and they show, like, grandma watching it at, at the house yep. and be like, hey, check this out. Like... <laughs> Right. When they do cut eventually, even when they cut just across the street, you're like, oh, whoa, like we're not yeah. in the bank anymore. What, what has mm-hmm. happened? And it makes exactly. you then, like sort of like re like adjust what you're how you're viewing the movie. And the only times they cut out of the bank are like with people who are directly tied to the events. Like it's not exactly. like you're getting like bystanders. It's just like right. you're getting like a matter of facts. Like it's based off a newspaper article. It feels like a very procedural kind of. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you could see them like, as you were saying, I feel like a modern version of this would cut to like different like facets of America and seeing how like different people are reacting. And you see people like storm the streets or you see like, uh, you follow like a protester who then yeah, like, shows up. You know what totally. I mean? But like this movie's like, no, we're just gonna focus on like Pacino and his fucking story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it. So good. And then you mm-hmm. see the protesters come in, but like it's it's you under and you understand why they're there. You don't need to have the whole understand. It's like show don't tell. Like they're not telling you this happened and this and then this. They just arrive and then you're yeah. left with what's actually going on. Yeah. I mean, when in I- doubt, go back to storytelling basics. Focus Amen. on those characters. What a concept. If you guys are going to rate this movie personally, where would you, where is this landed for you? Out of five. I, I went, I went five. Hell yeah. I like, yeah. Yeah, five. It's, it's, a, it's personal. Same here. Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> I gave it four and a half, but Oof. Um, I, this movie blew me away. It's yeah. amazing. I'm so glad we all like it. it um, in fairness to Brooke, the first time I watched it, I gave it four and a half, but yeah. It, on my second time, I was like, yeah, but it's fine. 
Oh, you just I'm have to sure. go rewatch it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm uncultured. I saw this movie for the first time yesterday. Um, yeah. But you know what? It was a great time. But and now I'm so you're happy. cultured. Yes, now yeah, I now have cultured. soaked up all the culture in the world. <laughs> um, do you want to go around and give our queer quadrant ratings? You want to lead them off? Sure. I think that I actually haven't thought about this. Oh, I think that overall, I would like to take into consideration like the time period this was made and what it was trying to achieve. I think I want to give this like a four and a half. Yeah. In terms of the queer quadrant rating, like we talked about, it has that sort of genre and uh, optics blend that I like and I think like serves queer stories or any sort of marginalized stories best by not like honing in so intensely on it that you just want to die. Um, but by keeping that careful balance. And like I said, I think that Sonny's sort of characterization as the protagonist and his relationship with Leon is groundbreaking in its way and it might not have moved the needle for a lot of queer stories but you can go back and look at it and like be I think proud of what it did at the time whether that was like totally intentional or not um and yeah overall I was just I was very impressed and very moved by mm. um what it did in that space how about you jordan i totally agree i think i want to follow in the same thing i mean you've kind of i feel like we've gone around the board and said it a lot and i just think also what stood out to me which we I, we've touched on a little bit but just how his portrayal of masculinity in this film's sort of deconstruction of it within like sunny within uh Kazale, within just the, the police etc at all is super interesting just uh, and then how it plays against stereotypes and just, I mean, everything that we've said and how humanist this movie is to its core. And I mean, for the time, I think, as you were saying, it gets ov- obviously like looking at this film now, there are things that you want updated, but for what it was doing then, I think it's like a good, uh, I mean, it's an amazing film. And I think it gets like, a, as you were saying, a four and a half for me too. Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll let Arden go first. Perfect. It's out of five. Yes. Hell yeah. It's out of five. <laughs> Fives cool. only. Hell yeah. I I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four. Uh, I'm not gonna give it the, the extra half. Uh, but I, I I mean again, it's like for, for 1972, you really cannot get much better unless you're making a John Schlesinger. That's the person who made uh, Midnight Cowboy. Uh, oh. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know. It, it, it's just. It's got deep fucking heart uh it cares about all the characters uh you know it's what 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 am i going to how it's it's great it's great it's just great (laughs) yeah i will yeah i'll i'll go um i'm so split between i'll I'll go 4.25 oh my god you and jordan (laughs) splitting you have no idea you know splitting hairs in it um it's important decimal points matter no it's horrible there's a there's a uh, there's an Ebert quote that I liked a lot um, in Ebert's review of this where he says, quote, Leon is vulnerable and easily wounded, but not a drama queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought about that a lot because especially during that long phone call, I found myself thinking, like, is this too effete and is this too, like, um, weak and, and Leon faints and is shown to be very overwhelmed easily, uh, you know, in comparison to Pacino's. Uh, trying to be in control all the time and the more I thought about it the more I thought no that is that's really baked into who this character would be they uh, you know she just committed attempted to commit suicide right. um, has been in a mental institution where they're uh, like pumping 
her full of drugs all the time. Um, they have been, uh, she's been shepherded to a, the scene of a crime that her husband is committing. Like, I, I didn't think any of that, um, uh, vulnerability, um, was stereotypical. I thought all of it was really earned by the situation. Definitely. Uh, which I wanted to, to give props to. I think you, you were saying that, I think there's like a genuineness to it. It's like, it feels genuine. Like all these characters are behaving mm-hmm. as the characters would behave. They're not. Yeah blown up either way it's just focusing on who they are and it's so cool to see when a movie actually just cares about a character and how they actually are and how they exist in the world versus sort of the writer's interpretation of it in some way shape or form absolutely and and all that from uh the guy who played prince humperdinck in the princess bride oh my god Mm -hmm. i just made that connection wow (laughs) Wow. That face has lit up like a firework-filled sky. I mean, <laughs> shit. Like John Cazale's face in the end of this movie. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Oh, Too oh sad. Um, um, how much, Brooke, did this money, how much money did this movie make? Um, this because movie did very it well. Raked. Yes, it raked. So it grossed um, an estimated $50 million, uh domestic, but if you uh look at inflation that is roughly like 240 million today oh my god um this movie made a lot of money i do not have the actual uh data of how many theaters it opened in but just imagine a movie like this coming out today and making that much money 250 mil i mean it was the number four movie of 1975 at the box office off of uh, off of a three and a half million dollar budget yeah Hell yeah, that's the 70s. Like, I that is 70s oh, cinema for you. What the heck? <laughs> hopefully, oh. hopefully it will swing back in a big way. Uh, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. 2024 predictions. Uh, yeah. 2025, maybe. Yes. Um, but yes, this movie made quite a bit of money and was very popular, um, critically lauded. Um, and yeah, and it was also nominated for, let's see, six. six Oscars yeah. uh, and one Best Original Screenplay for Frank Pearson, which I think is great. And I think the only reason that it lost so many other ones mm-hmm. is because this was the one flew over the cuckoo's nest year. Exactly. So yeah. mm. they, they had no chance. But like Pacino. <laughs> Pacino! Pacino! Oh. oh, that's, I don't know what I would do as an Academy voter. I think I go I, I just gave I just gave this movie five stars, but I have a massive poster of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in my living room <laughs> right now. I am obsessed with that movie. I love it so much. Uh, that's a really hard choice. But um, I'm really happy that you're a fan of both One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and this movie. And I mean, both Arden and Sam, that is why we wanted to have you on. And I'm so glad that you wanted to talk about a cinematic a classic because yeah. we know that you're both such cinephiles. Um, and yeah, it's it's great. I mean, we talk about a lot of dumb shit on this podcast what? too. What? <laughs> We've covered a not great movie before? I have two words for you, Jordan. Home Alone. A good movie. What the a fuck? You movie. don't think Home Alone's good? A masterpiece. What? Uh, <laughs> Anyways, I would. Yeah. Can we guess the LB? Yes, please guess right. the letterbox, right? Uh, Sam, you can tap in if you want as well, uh, or Arden if you have yeah. looked at it or not. Um, okay, appraising it, I gave it five. We have almost fives across the board. I would say probably it's that and a four and a half split. So I'm gonna give it a four six four six. I um I did not look at what the stor- score was, but I have the like arc memorized, <laughs> and it was like basically no one gave it other thing anything other than a like four four point five five. Like those three are pretty much even yeah. across the board, and then there's a real drop off. So I think I'm gonna go like 
4.3. Yeah. Okay. And Jordan said 4.6. Yes. Arden, did you look or do you know? I, I feel like I looked last night, but I don't know for sure. But I, if I got the Give right it a answer, guess. I would feel like an, a 4.2. All right. Um, it is? It's a 4.2. What? <laughs> ah. No. This movie has a lot more four-star reviews than it does four and a half and five. Oh, that's a so, bummer. So just dragging right? it down a little bit. Four, six. I think the only movie on Letterboxd that has four, six is Parasite. Parasite. And I don't even Parasite. know if it's that right. high. Right. Yeah. That's a bummer. It's it's been it's been a, a real dog day afternoon, you could say, hey, here on this episode. Hey. <laughs> it's been a dog day afternoon. But it's time to pack <laughs> up the guns and uh pack up the money and uh move on. Yes. Yes. So where where could if listeners, where can they find you guys? Yes. Disney Plus Podcast Plus? You got any plugs? Yes. Do you have any podcast uh, yes. plugs plus? <laughs> You should you should listen to our podcast everywhere that you listen to podcasts except I think Stitcher. Yeah, there's one of them Stitcher, that doesn't like us. There's I think I think Stitcher refused to put us on there because they thought that we were copyright infringement on Disney, <laughs> oh which God. we might be. But um, uh, listen to us anywhere uh, you find podcasts. Disney Plus podcast plus. There's a lot of Disney pod bot. Jesus Christ. There's a lot of Disney podcasts. It's sometimes easier to find us by just searching our names mm. than it is. Uh, for the podcast, so that's Sam Kaufman and Arden Yerskis. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at DisneyPodPlus. Um, my social medias are, uh, let me get the <laughs> handles right, because I always mess them up. Um, I am at WhoopingCough, uh, Whooping and then K-A-U-F, like my last name, on Twitter, and at WhoopingCough23 on Instagram. One of my Arden, favorite. Where find you? Yeah, my I'm just at Arden Yerskis. Uh, <laughs> it's my first and last name on everything. Hell yeah. Uh, because awesome. damn, you snatched it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Well, some of us have generic names. It's, oh, s- sure, Sam Kaufman. That, you don't have a generic name. I kn- yeah. you're the only Sam well, Kaufman I know. I I know same. another one. You know another one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, when I was a freshman in uh, high school, there was a senior named Sam Kaufman. I oh always God. get really defensive whenever I meet another Brooke because same. I didn't know a lot of Brooks growing up, and now I feel like I meet them because my worldview has expanded. And oh, I'm like, has. no, this is not okay. <laughs> Um, but yes, we will link everything in the description. Um, Disney Plus Podcast Plus is great. Everyone should listen to it. Um, I was having a nice hearty laugh while I was brushing my teeth this morning, listening to you guys, getting ready Aww. to do this record. Um, it's I, great. I will say specifically, uh, if you don't like Disney movies, <laughs> that should not be a deterrent to not listen to our podcast. Fact, we, by and large, point. also don't like Disney movies. <laughs> I respect your endeavor of setting out for this. That's it's very, like, it's yeah. very painful for you. The main and- appeal is that you just put yourselves through <laughs> hell every week. And, yeah, and if you guys uh, like our, these we'll, guys, we'll succeed. they're going to be on our podcast. So it's yeah. like it's like two queer quadrant episodes. Oh my oh, god! Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can just we, listen to their um, podcast episode and then not listen to ours again. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, where can we find you yes. and us? Yes, together. We... <laughs> Are you done? I'm I'm Pizzoli, you're Pacino. Okay. Um <laughs> you can find us mainly on Twitter. I'm at Brooke B. Solomon. At Jordan H. Gus. And we are together at Queer Quadrant. You can find this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and hey. wherever. <laughs> 
you get your podcasts um rate review subscribe like let us know what you think of this movie tweet at us tell us your thoughts leave us a nice review on apple Podcasts. okay they really make my day um that's the only credit that i can offer (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i think it's nice um so next week we're dipping our toes into a different sort of sweaty water. Yes. You would say there might be no water where we're going. I was going to say it's a pretty dry movie. Next week, we are covering The Mummy. Hey. Another classic. Our first Frasier vehicle. Our first Frasier vehicle. Um, I'm a little worried about how much Frasier love there's going to be. be great. It might blow out the mics. It might overwhelm the podcast. It's going to be the best day of my life. I, I'm very excited. I've never seen this movie. It whips. <laughs> Rachel Weiss, my God. Oh, I my know. God. It's her and Brendan Fraser. It's the hottest people have ever looked put on celluloid. Great. Um, <laughs> great. I, I I'm agree. very excited. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. And uh, I believe we will have a guest, but you will have to tune in to find out who it is. Bum, bum, bum. Um, yeah, there we go. Sam, Arden, any final thoughts before we sign off here? All I got to say is uh, Attica! 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 Attica!